Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, praise the Lord. Hope you're glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. See a lot of new outfits, a lot of new dresses, a lot of new shirts. I didn't go out shopping for new clothes, but I did spend all day Friday at the barber shop getting my hair fixed up for today. Just want y'all to know that. It's not easy to make it look this good. You know, a year or two ago, I uh, was talking to the Lord and I, I said, if there's somebody else that can do a better job, they need to do it. I don't want to just be filling the spot to be filling the spot. I don't want to just get up there to preach to be preaching. I want to be making a difference. And I heard the Lord speak to me as plain as day. And He told me He's anointed me to preach in a certain way to a certain group of people. And if I'll just preach under that anointing, that when people come in, they'll leave different than they came. So I have a saying around here that I say, because He told me, that we're going to leave different than we came in. And today I declare, every how you came in, you're going to leave out better. If you came in good, you're still going to leave out better. If you come in bad, you're going to leave out good. We're going to leave out better than we came in. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And I dropped out of college because I couldn't stand up and speak in front of people. And they told me I had to take public speaking. I hit the door running and I never went back. I don't stand up and speak in front of people unless it, there is an anointing because I can't do it. So I just thank the Lord for anointing this morning. Today's a good day. Brother Buddy said, you lose your life, you gain your life. It's a paradox. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I want to jump into some scripture today. And uh, it's probably not going to be a typical Easter sermon. But it is a sermon from the Lord in its own Easter. Therefore, it's an Easter sermon. Amen. In Philippians, if you've got your Bible or your iPad or your phone or whatever you choose to use, just get in Philippians and just stay there. Uh, the third chapter, I'll hit some other scriptures. If you don't have anything, it's okay because they're going to be on the screen behind me or maybe they're not. In Philippians, the third chapter says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. This is a Paul speaking here. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. It was a loss. What he counted as a gain, now he counts it as a loss. Yet indeed, I also count all things a loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, 
If by any means I may obtain the resurrection from dead, from the dead. Not that I have already obtained or am already protected, I mean perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He says, I don't know it all. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now what he says in here three or four different times, he says, I lost some things, but it's really a gain. What I thought was a gain, what I was holding on to, I, I lost it. I had to lose to gain. And that doesn't make any sense to the world. Like I said, it's a paradox. And the Bible is full of all kinds of paradoxes. That, and what a paradox is, is something that seems absurd. And it doesn't make any sense at all. Wait a second. You've got to lose in order to gain. You should, have, you should gain in order to gain. We're going to lose in order to gain? That really doesn't make any sense. And it does seem absurd to the world. And what a paradox is, is something that does seem absurd and doesn't make any sense until you try it for yourself. Until you get into it, or maybe you have a revelation from the Lord, now all of a sudden it makes a whole lot of sense to you. Because you've tried it. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen? And the Bible's full of them. We'll, we'll talk about a few right here. It says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I, I must decrease. When He increases, you increase. So this scripture basically is saying is, uh, I must decrease if I want to increase. Because Christ Jesus is in me. And I increase in Him. So I'm going to decrease, but yet I'm going to increase. That's another paradox. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So you're going to lose life, but you're going to gain life. You're going to lose life, but you're going to gain life. See, uh, someone once said this. That's a quote. He said, why you want to hang on so tight to what you can't keep anyway when you can grab hold of something that you can't lose? Am I in a Presbyterian church this morning? Why you want to hang on to something you can't keep when you can grab a hold of something you can't lose? I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about life. That's an amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's good stuff. In Luke, the 18th chapter and the 29th verse, it says... He said to them, As surely I say to you, there is no one who's left house, parents, brothers, wife, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in the present time and in the age uh, to come eternal life. You know what? I know some uh, people who have left the country and went into other countries. They've, they've left home. They're in another country. Missionaries doing work. And that's just one example. Um, but he, what he's saying is here, if you lose for me, you're going to gain from me. He says, I'm going to reward you. What you lose for my name's sake, what you lose from me, you lose something for me, you're going to gain something from me. And I'm talking about letting go of things and not holding on to things. Beethoven, uh, I know everybody's heard of Beethoven, and his greatest fear was losing his hearing because his hearing started to go. He started to lose his hearing. So he was in fear that he would lose his hearing. How in the world am I going to write music? This is what I was created to do. I'm a musician. How am I going to write music if I can't hear? And you know what? The greatest fear came to pass. He lost his hearing. He couldn't hear. 
But he said, when I lost my hearing, these melodies started to come in, flooding in. In other words, I couldn't hear anything else. I couldn't hear the world. I couldn't hear anything else. But in my deafness, in my loss, I found my greatest gain. And these melodies came flooding in. And his greatest music was written after he lost his hearing. And I'm not saying you've got to lose your hearing this morning. But what I'm saying is, God can create a new beginning from a bad ending. We serve a God of restoration and when life gives you lemons, guess what? He can make lemonade out of it. Amen. My greatest gain is uh, what, what came through my biggest loss. My biggest loss. My greatest gain is me standing right here before you, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel, living for the Lord. Me and my household, we serve the Lord. I don't know about him, I know him. My greatest gain came through a big loss. I didn't think I could go on. My loss led me to the Lord. I know some people who's had some new beginnings in Christ. It took a divorce to get you there. God didn't, he didn't uh, decree the divorce or that wasn't his plan. But I just know men and women that have been married, living for the world, they got divorced and then they came and sought the Lord. Now they got a relationship with the Lord and they're going to heaven. Let me tell you something, it'd be better to be single and go to heaven than married and go to hell. I'm telling you, there can be a new beginning from a bad ending. Amen. And Paul understood this. He understood it. I was talking to my cousin the other day back here behind the church and the Lord showed me something. It was something powerful. I've been thinking about it ever since. You can't let go of something with a closed fist. And you can't receive something with a closed fist. You've got to open your hand. It's the same posture to release as it is to receive. You've got to let go of some things if you want to grab some things. Paul said, I've got to let go of the things that are behind me I'm not looking at those things. Those things are behind me. I'm letting go of them so I can reach ahead for something that's in front of me. Great gains. What looks like a big loss a lot of times ends up being a great gain. Great gains come from losses. A big loss, but a greater gain. Amen. Paul understood this. He was on the road to Damascus when he got knocked off his horse. He was blinded. Y'all remember that story? And he, he uh, had a major transformation right there. In Galatians, um, the, let's see, do I want to go there? I think I do. Galatians, I don't know if I do or not. No, I don't think I do. I don't know where I want to go. That's, that's, that's bad, isn't it? Paul is talking about it in Philippians. That's where I want to go. I want to go to Philippians. I give I give them so many scriptures. I have to I have to, uh, and I don't even think I gave them the right ones. That's uh, in Philippians. No, I did give them Philippians. What in the world am I talking about? It's way back here in Philippians where we read all those scriptures I read to begin with here in the seventh verse. He says right here in the seventh and eighth verse. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. And in the 8th verse, yet indeed I also count all things for a loss. This loss that he's talking about right here, that word is uh, zemiah or zemiah. That's how it's pronounced in the Greek. And if you look that up and study it, what that means is lost like lost at sea. Like when Paul's on the ship 
and he's at sea, and this thing's sinking. He said, this thing can't sink. I've got, to, I've got somewhere to be. I've got to stand before Caesar. I've got to get to Rome. This thing can't go down. That's my destiny. I've got to get there. We've got to throw some things overboard. And that's what he's talking about right here, letting go of some things that are behind you so you can reach forward ahead of some things that are in front of you. Sometimes you've got to throw some things overboard in your life. You've got to let go of some things. Because like I said, it's the same posture to let go as it is to receive. You can't let go with a closed fist. You can't receive with a closed fist. And the Lord wants to give you something to receive something. Well, sometimes you've got to let go of some things so you can reach for and grab hold of some things that are better. But Paul said, we've got to lighten this load. We've got to lose some things. And that's what the word means. This lost right here, counting as lost, lost at sea. Thrown overboard. Not on the ship anymore. Not on the ship of my life anymore. Sometimes we need to throw some things overboard. Hebrews 12 says, he's going to, he says, lay aside every weight. Uh, and every sin, every hindrance that does easily beset you or that ensnares you, that sometimes we got to lighten the load, let some things go, throw some things overboard in our life. And these things that are on this ship are no different than things that are in your life. These things that are on this ship was an asset in one season, but in this new season of life, now they become a liability. And there's some people here this morning, things in your life, they were an asset in one season of your life. But those same things have become a liability in this new season of life. And there's an anointing here. You can throw some things overboard this morning. You can get some things off your ship this morning. You can throw anxiety overboard this morning. You can throw fear overboard this morning. We need to throw overboard inferiority this morning. We need to throw overboard shame. We need to throw overboard guilt. We need to throw over every sin and every deed that's besetting us and ensnaring us. There's some things we can throw overboard this morning. Amen? Amen. It's a ship of your life. And seasons change. And I've noticed that seasons of separation usually precede seasons of elevation. Before He gets ready to elevate you, He'll separate you. He'll separate you from the things in your life that you don't need to get you ready for a new season of elevation. Maybe you're going through a season of, ele- of separation and it's tough. Hang on. Elevation's coming. He's doing a work in you. He's getting you ready for what He's got ahead of you. Amen? And it's not always throwing over things in your life overboard. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes He's got to separate you from people. Sometimes you're dating the wrong dude. You're dating the wrong gal. You're associating with the wrong people. you got the wrong group of friends. And they were an asset to begin with, but now they're a liability this new asset in life. I mean, this new uh, season in life. And the bottom line is this. If they can't grow with you, they can't go with you. I remember a preacher said one time, you want to know who to marry, you're looking for a boyfriend, you're looking for a girlfriend, you're looking for a mate, just take off running as fast as you can towards Jesus. And after you've been running for a while, look around and see who's beside you and pick one of them. Amen. Amen. If they can't grow with you, they can't go with you. Sometimes you've got to leave them behind. You gotta separate yourself. You need a new group of friends. You need friends that's picking you up, elevating you, not pulling you down, dragging you down. You know what? You get elevated, you start living for the Lord, you can go back to that same group of friends, group of friends, and you can start elevating them. You can start pulling them up one at a time. But you gotta get strength in yourself before you can do it. 
So Apostle Paul, there's some things he had going on right here. Some things I want you to look at in these scriptures in the fifth chapter, in the fifth verse rather. Paul was a religious man. He was very religious. Before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, before he had an encounter with God, before the transition, before the transformation, he was a very religious man. In the fifth verse it says, He was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law. He says, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He had it going on externally. In other words, he had the suit and tie on. He had the look. He had the speech. He said what he needed to say in front of who he needed to say it. You understand? The religious activity was there. He was at church every Sunday. He didn't miss. He was back there on Sunday night. He didn't miss. He was there on Wednesday, prayer meeting. He was there. Men's group, he was there. Anything they had going on, he was there. He had the look. He had it going on. That's what he looked like. And he was a big fella, square-shouldered, dressed nice. He's walking around with his chest stuck out, his chin high, maybe even a little swag. You know what? He was confident in who he was. Mr. Religious. God never called you to be Mr. Religious. He created you because He wanted a relationship with you. And Paul had all these religious activities going on. He had the external. But religious activity, that's not the way to Christ. He created us for a relationship. Religious activity actually should serve your relationship. See, I go to church because I have a relationship. I pray because I have a relationship. I help others treat them kindly because I have a relationship. I'm not doing it out of religion. I'm doing it out of relationship. See, your religious activities should serve your relationship. I do it because I want to, not because I feel like I had to. Paul was doing it because he had to right here because he's religious. That's the way he was raised. He was brought up. That's the way he did it. That's the way they did things. You can go to church and not know him. You can come to every service and not know Him. You can stand behind the pulpit and not know Him. You can teach Sunday school and not know Him. I don't want to know about Him. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to walk with Him. I want to talk with Him. I want Him to, I want to hear Him say, you're my own. I want to hear it. Because see, when you know Him, you don't need a, a degree in theology. When you know Him, you don't need an ordination. Because you, know, it's, you can gain something from a relationship that religion can never give you. I know Him. You can know Him. I want you to know Him. Christianity is not knowing about Him. Christianity is knowing Him. Knowing Him. Praise the Lord. A lot of people in here have bought new vehicles. Everybody's been to a restaurant. You've experienced salesmen. When you went to buy a car and you've experienced waitresses and waiters at restaurants. You go buy a new vehicle. I went to buy a truck one time years ago, and uh, I ended up not buying it. But this is one thing I've learned in, in, in my lifetime I'm fixing to share with you. But this guy, he's telling you everything about this truck, how good it'll pull, how good it'll tote the load, uh, it'll stop, it's got this, it's got that, it's got all the bells and whistles and, and miles per gallon and, and uh, about to train, you know, all, giving you everything. He's trained. He's trained with eloquent speech to sell you on this truck. He's trained to give you all the details. And then you ask, now you're up there at the, you're at the Toyota dealership. 
For example, he's telling you, this is the greatest truck on the road today. And he's telling you everything great about it. Have you got one? No, no, I've got an F-150. They let me park it in the back. Not because there's anything wrong with Ford. Because he's driving something different than he's selling. You understand what I'm saying? He's trained, though, to sell you on something that he's never driven and he's never owned himself. You can go into a restaurant. Today's special is this. It's this, this, and this. And they tell you about it. And they've uh, marinated it. And they flipped it and turned it. And they've, it's seasoned. And uh, the chef, he, he's got the magic touch. And he does blah, blah, blah. And does all these things. And by the time they get finished telling you about it, that's what I want. I want that. Give me two of them. Because this sounds good, doesn't it? You know, they give you a dissertation, basically, of the, of the meal there. They describe it. Because they're trained with eloquent speech to sell you on the dish. And then you get the dish, and it's really not that good. So I've learned when they try to sell me on that, I say, have you had it yourself? Well, no, no. I just stick to the chicken fingers. Or whatever. I don't like that. But they're trying to sell you on something they've never tasted. And if we're not careful, we can become salesmen and waiter and waitress Christians. Amen. Trying to sell other people on something that we haven't tasted. You're trying to sell them on some, uh, somebody you know about rather than somebody you know. We've got to know him for ourselves. Amen? Amen. We're going to try to... Um, you know, tell people about all the details of, of Christ, but we have no devotion life ourselves. We're going to try to tell them about prayer, but we don't even pray. Tell them how good the praise and worship is, but you're just singing songs. You're really not engaged in praise and worship yourself. you got to know Him for yourself. Amen? It's good. you got to know Him for yourself. The blind man, he said, I don't know what y'all think about it, but I'll tell you what. I was blind, but now I see. Because relationship with Jesus Christ gave me something that religion can never give me. Amen. You got to know Him. In the eighth verse right here, it says, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. But notice right there, right in the middle, he says, Excellent of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not the Lord. You've heard a lot of people say the Lord. Paul's saying my Lord because it's personal. It's personal now. It was the Lord when I was religious, but now I've got a relationship. Now it's my Lord. Now he's my Lord and Savior. So you can slide in on mom and dad's coattails. That'll get you by for a while. You can slide in on the, the youth group uh, leaders, took coattails for a while, but then you get up of the age of accountability. That don't work anymore. That don't work anymore. My son, he flipped the boat up upside down. He, he, he went under the water. He ruined his phone. He needed a new cell phone. I've got six phones on my plan, on the family plan. All got my name on them. I'm responsible for the bill. Six. So we went to the Verizon store and I said, this phone needs to be replaced. They pulled my account up and they said, is it this number? No, I don't think it's it. This one, this one, this one. Bingo, finally we found it. I mean, it's like a directory trying to find the phone in my name. 
I got a family package. It comes with a certain amount of data. It comes with a certain amount of minutes. And they're on my data. And they're on my minutes. They're on my plan. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. What I mean by that, what I mean by that is this. You got to get with Him. You got to get some minutes with Him for your own self. You got to get some data downloaded in your heart, your own self. You got to get your own plan. It's not just coming to church. It's not just coming to Sunday school. It's not just coming to youth. When you leave here, you got to get some minutes with Him for your own self. Because you can come here each and every week and leave and not know Him personally. I tell you how I know, because I did it for 33 years. I didn't know Him personally until I was 33 years old, but I was here more Sundays than not. Because it was a religious thing. I just came because that's what you do. But now I know Him. I don't come because that's what you do. I become because that's what I want to do. You can't keep me from here. Little snow, that ain't going to stop me. Little wind, little rain, a couple of pine cones coming across the parking lot. It's no problem. You can come on. You need to look at that seat you're sitting in right now. Say, hey, seat, you're mine. And look around to your neighbors and say, hey, don't sit in this seat next week. It's mine. I'm claiming it. I'll be back. If you're in my seat, I'm going to cut you. Paul lost religion, but he gained relationship. Do you see it? He lost religion. He lost something, but he gained something far greater. He thought the religion was everything. But he says, now it's rubbish. Everything I've lost, it's rubbish. He lost something, but he gained something. Paul had an image. But Paul gained identity. Paul had an impressive upbringing. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, Saul, Paul's name was Saul. Before he had an encounter with Christ, his name was Saul. And he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And um, the tribe of Benjamin, I mean, there, there's an, there's a, he has a heritage among the Jews here. Saul, King Saul, was before Apostle Paul, which was Saul. But King Saul was also from the tribe of Benjamin. It's not in the Bible, I can't prove it, but historians say that Saul, Apostle Paul, this Saul, was named after King Saul. He was somebody. They thought a lot of him. He had, like I said, an impressive upbringing. He had an a, 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 uh, education. He was well-educated. And he had a heritage among the Jews. And he lived under an image until his encounter. Paul said, build the church and I'll kill you. He was known as a, as a killer. He was known as a persecutor. Paul said, go ahead and try to build a church see what I do. And nobody's going to build a church for Christ. Go ahead and try it. See what happens. He had a status. He had a position. He had a pedigree. He was well known. People were scared of him. He was leading a persecution to Christians, killing, murdering, martyring Christians. In Galatians, the first first chapter and the uh, first let me find it here in the 13th verse says for you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it 
and I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. See, he went from an image to an identity. This was his image right here. He says, I advance in Judaism beyond the contemporaries of my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. It was a tradition. It was an image, and he was going to keep the tradition going. Do you see that? It still happens here today. What I mean is not here, but in people's lives today, here on earth today in 2019, this thing still happens. It's an image, and it's a religious activity. And he says here in the 15th verse, He says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach to Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer the flesh and blood. What what he's saying is I went from an image to an identity. He said, God called me right here from birth. He gave me an identity from birth. But guess what life had done? Life had labeled him. Life had put a stamp on his back. Life had put an image on him. His upbringing... All the religious people around him, the tribe of Benjamin, all the people, they, a certain expectancy was put on him and an image was put on his back. But he said, God says, no, I've got an identity. And an identity is a lot, my identity that I've given you is a lot different than the image that the world's put on you. And Paul's blinded and God tells Ananias, he says, go lay hands on Paul, on Saul. He's still Saul at this time. Go lay hands on Saul. And Ananias said, say what? Go lay hands on who? Saul? You talking about the one that's been persecuting and killing Christians? I'm going to go lay my hands on that joker? No, I'm not doing it. He's jacked up. He's messed up. I'm not, uh-uh. Are you, are you serious? Don't you know what he's been doing? Don't be so quick to throw people away because of what they've done in the past. Don't you know what he did? Don't you know what they did? Don't you know how they act? I don't want to be associated with them. Don't be so quick to throw people away because of what they've done. Because they're acting out an image. And they're never going to, that image, what, that activity is never going to change until they receive their identity. And the only way they're going to receive that identity is through Jesus. And you may be the very one that leads him to Jesus. He was called from birth, but life had labeled him. And Ananias went and prayed for him and laid his hands on him. And the scripture says that the scales fell off his eyes. He was blind, but now he sees. And he saw life uh, totally different than he did before the encounter, didn't he? There was a transformation that took place. He was a preacher by identity. God had called him to preach. But there was an image put on him. He's a preacher by identity, but bad stuff, the bad things that he did was by image. And let me tell you something. The enemy wants to label you, and the enemy wants to put labels on you and images on you, but Jesus Christ comes along and he removes the labels and he removes the, uh, the images. He says, I've got a new identity for you. It's different than what the world's identity uh, image is about you, what they think about you, what they say about you. Because see, the world will say, no, Paul, he's a persecutor. And God says, no, he's a preacher. And the world will say, no, Apostle Paul, Saul, he's an assassin. And God says, no, he's an apostle. He's a murderer. God said, no, he's a messenger. 
Image versus identity. So you may say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've came. What I've been through. My ups and downs. All the struggles I've been through. You just you, you don't know anything about it. You don't know how bad I've been, Red. Preacher man, you don't know all the stuff I've messed up on. I don't. I don't know what all you've messed up on. I don't know what all you've done. But I know what this word says right here. It says... You accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And guess what? You're a new creation. All things old are passed away. They don't exist anymore. We're moving forward. You're a new creation recreated in Christ Jesus through the blood of the Lamb of God. We had a Presbyterian church. I'm convinced. I've heard people say things like this. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Don't believe that because that's not in the Bible. Once an addict, always an addict. Don't believe that either. That's not in the Bible. Once a hoe, always a hoe. Don't believe that because that's not in the Bible. Did I just say that? Yeah, I ain't going to make you come get it. I'll bring it right down there to you make it relevant. God's recreated you. You're not who they say you are. He's given you identity. He's given you a purpose. He's given you a plan. And Paul exchanged an image for an identity. Praise the Lord. You've got to understand who you are in Christ Jesus. Say, so we want to try to work on our activities and we want to try to work on other people's activities because we see what they're doing out here on the outside and we want to try to work on their activities. That's not going to do anything. You've got to work on their identity because the real change takes place on the inside. You see, when you lead people to the cross... And they find out who they are in Christ Jesus. And they start living for the Lord. Things start to change on the inside. Then you start to see the activity change on the outside. But see, as long as they have that image of who people have told them they are, they'll act out that image. See, when, when, you, when you think the image is uh, that I'm an abuser, you're going to abuse. You've got to have a new identity. God's given you identity from birth. Amen. You're going to act out what you think. That's why I think you need to change. And let me tell you, nothing's going to change your activity but your, your identity. I think back on my life, how hard I'd try to change things, how hard I'd try to quit things, and I'd fail miserably every time, fail miserably every time, fail miserably every time, because I'm just trying as hard as I could. And then every time I'd fail, I'd feel worse than I did before, and I'd fall into sin greater than I was before. But then I finally got to the end of the road and I got tired of being broke, busted, and disgusted. I remember being in my kitchen, laid my head down. I said, Lord Jesus. And me and him had a conversation. He came in there in my kitchen, wrapped his arms around me. I felt the presence of God stronger than I'd ever felt it in my entire life. And all of a sudden, right then, that day, there, right then and there, I started a relationship. I've been maintaining the relationship ever since. And let me tell you, all the external activities begin to change. All the things I used to do begin to fall off. All the desires I used to have left me. But it didn't happen because I was trying to work on my activity. It happened because I worked on my relationship. Don't focus on trying to quit everything. Just focus on seeking Him. On knowing Him. Not knowing about Him. Knowing Him. There's a huge, ginormous difference. And Paul right here traded image for identity. He he, he traded a religion for a relationship. Then he trades image for identity. This screen right here behind me, 
Um, it's a projector screen. It's just a blank screen. That's all it is. It's got no control over anything. It's just a plain old blank screen. But there's a projector right there. And they project things that shoots on that screen. And therefore we have images. We can put pictures up there. We can put pictures of cuckoo birds up there. If you are here last week, you know what that means. It's good stuff. I should have put it up there today. But we put images on that thing. But it's just a blank, barren screen. It's a projector screen. And unless something's projected on it, nothing really happens. There's an outside source putting an image on that screen. But there's another screen, such as this one right here. It's an LED screen. There's nothing being projected on it. There's something on the inside of it. There's something on the inside of it that's producing what's on this screen right here. And you can take an LED screen and you can take a projector and you can shoot the projector at the LED screen and you won't see what's coming out of that projector because what's in the LED screen is greater than what's being projected on it from the projector. You understand what I'm saying? The identity lies within and the image is coming from the outside. And when you get to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, what the world, the image that Satan and the world tries to put on you, it ain't got no hold on you. You know why? Because greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. See, there's a light and a source coming from within. There's a light and a source coming from within this LED screen. Let me tell you, there's a light and a source that's coming within each inside, inside each and every believer that's here today. I want you to remember that when you see that screen. You're not called to be a blank, barren screen that you're just whatever is projected on you. You're not a projector screen Christian. You're not called to be just whatever people image people put on you. You've got an identity. He says, you're my own. You're my son. You're my daughter. i got a plan. i got a purpose. i got a destiny for you. See, that ship hauls on. He was destined to get there. He said, there's some things waiting me down that's got to go overboard because I'm destined to get there. There's some things in your life that's waiting you down, keeping you from reaching your destination that God's got for you. And it's time this morning to let them go and throw them overboard. And it it seems great. It seems big. It's a big loss, but there's a greater gain that will come from it. So you let go of some good things and you can grab hold of some greater things. Thank you, Jesus. Paul, we read in these scriptures here, he said, concerning the law, Pharisee, he said, I was zealous for the things of my fathers. In other words, what he, he, he's, he's saying, I had knowledge, I had wisdom, I knew everything. You couldn't tell me nothing. You ever been around somebody like that? A religious person? Not just religious people. I've been around people you can't tell nothing regardless. I'm talking about religious people. You can't tell me nothing about the Bible. I don't know. I know it all. That's how I used to feel when I used to stand up here and preach. Because I thought, I can't tell these people anything they don't know. And I can't. But God can speak through me and tell, me, tell you a lot of things you don't know. But he says, there's nothing I don't know. 
I know all these things. But then after his encounter with Christ, I want you to look at this. After his encounter with Christ, let's look at 1 Corinthians, second chapter. He says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words and human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He knew everything before he encountered Jesus, but after Jesus, he didn't know anything. He knew everything before, but he says, now I know nothing. And he says, here's the deal. I don't want your faith to be in my words, in me, and be persuaded by me. I want you to realize it's the Holy Spirit operating through me. Y'all with me? He lost confidence in the flesh. He gained he gained power in the spirit. In the spirit, each and every one of us needs to do that. Lose confidence in your flesh. I know you think you got it, but you don't. I told this story before. I'm going to tell it again because I like it. It's one of the greatest fights I've ever been to. It was in Cleveland, up there at old uh, Ward's place, where they do the dirt bike races and they do other stuff. Yeah, there's a fight up there, and. Uh, Tough man style fight, you know, last man standing wins kind of thing. And uh, I went over there and I was just kind of looking around, see if I knew anybody. And this dude walked by that looked like he was, uh, he needed to be in a fight about like I needed to be in a marathon. And he walked by, he, he, he sized everybody up. And I remember playing his day, he turned around and he goes, I got this. I got this. He got it all right. That was the quickest fight I've ever seen. Dude came out there, threw one punch, knocked him smooth out. Had to get the smell of the sauce to wake him up. And I thought, you got it. Same thing happens as Christians. You think you got it. Whenever you think you got it, you fish and get it. You got to realize I ain't got nothing. He's got me. And I better hang on to him. But Paul basically said, I got it. I know everything. But after his encounter with Christ, he said, I don't know anything. He didn't want anybody to put their faith and trust in him as a man. He said, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? And, and Jesus himself in Acts says, uh, God, it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. It's the Holy Spirit that was with Jesus. He didn't just go around doing things as just a human being, just an average guy. He did everything that he did under the anointing. And he also said, when I leave, these things that I've done, you'll do greater things than I did. You know why? Because I'm going to the Father to make intercession, intercession for you. But he said, these things I did, you can do as well. You know why? It's the anointing. That's the same thing Paul was trying to get over to people. It's not a religious activity. It's not a man who's obtained a whole lot of knowledge. It's the Holy Spirit operating through me. Praise team, y'all come on up. It's the Holy Spirit operating through me. Jesus Christ stands up in the book of Luke and he quotes Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's the Spirit of the Lord. How do I do things, these things that I do? It's the Spirit of the Lord. How do you open those blind eyes? It's the Spirit of the Lord. How are you raising people from the dead? It's the Spirit of the Lord. It's the anointing. 
It's the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord has anointed me to do these things. See, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with, um, with knowledge. There's nothing wrong with going to college. Go to college. Be as smart as you can be. Learn as much as you can learn. Let me tell you, there's no amount of college, there's no amount of school, there's no amount of any worldly thing that's going to get you prepared for everything life's going to throw at you. I don't care if you've got 16 degrees, something's going to come along in life that you ain't going to have an answer to it. You're not going to know what to do. You're not going to be strong enough. When you get all them brains, when you get finished and graduate college, you need to take all them brains quick as you can and go to church because you need them brains to be baptized. You need some baptized brains. Then you have a hold of something. You need the Spirit of the Lord. You need the anointing. What I'm talking about is you need the Holy Spirit. Jesus attributed everything He did to the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What I do, is what He tells me to do. It's the Holy Spirit. And you need that Holy Spirit. Without Him, we're powerless. He said, it's expedient that I must go. They didn't want Him to go. He said, it's expedient that I must go. Because if He didn't make that transition, with no transition, there's no transfer. You understand? He said, I'm going away and I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send a helper. It's the Holy Spirit I'm going to send to you. But out of departure, there can be no deposit. It's expedient that I must go. Some of the disciples went back to fishing. What a loss. All our hope, everything we knew, we just lost it. It's a big loss. They went back to fishing. Some were on the road, found on the road to Emmaus. They were saying our hope was in Him and now we've lost our hope and we thought, we thought He was the one and they had lost hope. It was a really big loss. But out of that big loss was a permanent gain. What seemed like the biggest loss for all the followers, for all of Christianity, came the greatest gain for all of humanity. See, it seemed like a big loss, but it was really a, a great gain. If hell would have only known the gain that was going to come from the cross, they would have done everything they could do to keep Him from getting to the cross rather than putting Him on the cross. But He was in the garden and He began to bleed. He started to, begin, he, he, he started to lose blood in the garden. And through the loss of the blood, we gained a peace that surpasses all understanding. And they took a crown of thorns and they ran Him on His head. You know what we gained? Redemption from the curse of the law. They took his clothes and they stripped him off of him. He's naked. It was a big loss. He lost his clothes. But we gained something because we were clothed in righteousness. They took a whip 
They tied him to a whipping post. They took a whip and they started strapping his back, legs, his body. Skins flying off, muscles, tendons are being torn. That was a great loss right there at that whipping post. But we gained something much greater called healing because by His stripes ye were healed. They took Him and they nailed Him to a cross. And He became the Lamb of God. There was something lost. But we gained forgiveness, past, present, and future. He died. He lost his life. But through the loss of his life, we gained life. And he rose from the dead. And we were lifted up and seated at the right hand of the Father with him. Amen. See, there was a loss on the cross. But a greater gain come from it. That's what Easter's about. His loss and our gain. Now, don't you remember this morning? We're fixing to stand up. We're going to pray first. I want you to remember that posture. You can't let go of things with your hands closed, and you can't receive things with your hands closed, but you can let go and receive. You can lose some things and gain some things. You can let go of some things that are good to grab hold of some things that are great. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Seven Mile Ministry. 